Hello, my name is Barbara, and this is Neuroscience, Amateur Hour, Mini Edition. Thank you so much for tuning back in. This episode is going to be a little bit shorter and a little bit more focused on one topic, but hopefully just as fascinating. So today, I want to talk to you about the neuroscience behind appreciating beautiful things and introduce you to the gripping but controversial field of neuroaesthetics. Neuroaesthetics is an emerging field of research that is a wombo combo of neuroscience, evolution, psychology, and its purpose is to understand the neurobiological foundations of processing and appreciating aesthetic experiences. Long story short, How do we designate something, whether it's a painting, a sculpture, or a piece of music, as beautiful? Where have our ideas of beauty arisen over the course of human evolution? How do we, as individuals, decide that something is beautiful to us compared to our neighbor? I want to start us off by talking about Professor Nancy Etkoff, a psychologist and assistant clinical professor at Harvard Medical School and Massachusetts General Hospital. She is a renowned expert on the neuroscience of emotion, perception of beauty, and subjective well-being. At Harvard Medical School, she teaches a couple of classes, including MBB980N, Neuroaesthetics. Now, I read the syllabus for this class, and oh my god, I wish I went to Harvard just to take this class. It begins with a brief history of aesthetics, art, and pleasure, and then merges into understanding the neural underpinnings of response to art with regards to the brain's reward system, and... This course includes a semester-long gallery classroom at the Harvard Art Museum with original works of art from the museum's collection as primary source materials for study. Like, what? That's insane and awesome and crazy. I don't know. I, I wish I could take that class. But as Dr. Etkoff says, the question of beauty is something that science has shied away from. It doesn't seem answerable or definable. How can we distill something that seems so personal, our individual perceptions of beauty, down to something as simple as a brain area or a network? For example, think about flowers. Most of us find flowers to be incredibly beautiful, and they have been shown to significantly decrease stress levels and to prove focus and attention span. Technically, they have very little use. You know, you can't eat them, you don't burn them from fuel very well, but they do have powerful effects on people's feelings and behavior. We give flowers to our loved ones, at funerals, celebrations, as exhibitions of affection. Fundamentally, flowers provide solace, joy, forgiveness, and compassion. We can look through evolutionary history for a reason why human beings have been obsessed with flowers for millennia. One idea is that the growth of flowers may have signaled that the environment is positive and safe with clean soil and water. The arrival of flowers may have signaled the arrival of edible fruits and nuts in a few weeks. You know, the heralding of spring. So it makes sense that seeing flowers would lower stress levels. Another aspect of why we may find flowers and other things beautiful is their symmetry. It has been shown that individuals consider more symmetrical faces more beautiful as well as those that follow the golden ratio. Now, the golden ratio is based on the Fibonacci sequence. 1, 1, 2, 3, 5, 8, 11, and so on and so on. 
Each number except the first two are the sum of the two before. And each number divided by the one before slowly approaches the golden ratio, 1.618. Now the fascinating thing is that we find the golden ratio in nature all around us, in the spiral of leaf rosettes, in the organization of fruit stands, the organization of pine cones. We can mathematically deduce the golden ratio and explain why it optimizes packing of seeds and fruits, but we can't explain why we find it beautiful. Maybe, maybe it also marks safety and prosperity, but who knows? <laughs> Beauty is one of life's basic pleasures. We want to keep near us, feel more sympathy and compassion for, and are elevated and enriched by what is beautiful. It's a very poignant sentiment, the idea that beauty doesn't simply arise from the whims of our society, whose fickle, ever-changing ideas can affect what we consider beautiful, fashionable, aesthetic, in our clothing choices, our homes, our models, the art that we make. I think the idea that beauty is innate and serves a purpose is wonderful. Art is especially fascinating to Etkoff because the emotions it, arise, it arouses in people are so complicated. Have you ever been to an art museum and heard someone say that they feel like they are really moved by an especially poignant art piece? Or gone to a movie theater to watch an especially sad movie? Why would anyone voluntarily to see something that will make them sad? Dr. Etkoff has proposed that it has to do with the simultaneous activation of two systems which are normally separate upon viewing or perceiving art. On one hand, the person's focus is directed at a specific external stimulus and absorbing all of the information from it, the color, the positioning, the play of light. Simultaneously, the default mode network, which is normally active when attention is not directed at stimulus and consists of mind-wandering and involves thought about the self, memory, and the future, is also activated. In summary, viewing an art piece arouses an incredibly complicated whole-brain response that brings into play many traditionally disparate aspects of the mind. And it may explain why these feelings are so difficult to articulate and yet are so profound. So researchers have made use of modern neuroimaging technology to try and take a look at some of the brain areas and the circuits that are activated upon perceiving something beautiful. Across different experiences of beauty, whether it was visual, musical, mathematical, or moral, which was also the first time I'd ever heard of something called moral beauty, but conversation for another time. Across all of these different experiences, they activated different parts of the brain, but one study found that they all seemed to overlap at the orbitofrontal cortex, the ventromedial prefrontal cortex, or the insula, allowing some to label it kind of a a cautious beauty center of the brain. Now, on one hand, this lies well in line with the theory of functional localization, the idea that much of the brain works through highly specialized modules. However, upon discovering this finding and being suitably suspicious, uh, researchers in 2020 conducted further research and looked at brain activity in response to seeing a beautiful face and seeing a beautiful painting and found two distinct brain regions, the ventromedial prefrontal cortex, and the anterior medial prefrontal cortex, with pretty much no overlap between them, contesting the idea that there is a common brain region determining what is beautiful and what isn't. They cited potentially poor analysis structure, small sample size, and errors in implementing software as a result for the previous finding, but as always, more rigorous studies are needed for conclusive results. 
Now, this area of research neuroaesthetics is fairly controversial. The people who oppose it are concerned by the existence of a science that can be misused and confused. As NIH researcher and neuroscientist Dr. Bevel Conway states, one potential danger in aesthetic projects is to universalize subjective convictions and assume the experience of beauty is common to all. And that makes sense. As we always say, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. But to determine that something is beautiful is deeply personal, defined by our experiences. But given the ambiguity of this topic, it makes sense that as we learn more about the brain, we want to understand what it is that brings us joy, compassion, fulfillment, and pleasure, and why. That is a bite-sized overview into neuroaesthetics. I hope that you enjoyed the episode and you learned something new. I've cited all my relevant sources and papers in the show notes, and you should keep an eye out on Instagram for some cool figures that I think are pertinent. This week's episode was a little bit shorter. Um, Please let me know if you enjoyed this length. Uh, Next week, we'll be back to normal. Otherwise, please rate, review, and subscribe. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, queries, or complaints, please email me at neurosciencemateurhour at gmail.com or DM me at neurosciencemateurhour on Instagram. This podcast is available on pretty much every platform I can think of, so please recommend it to your friends and loved ones. Also, if you have something you really want to learn about, please contact me, and you'll probably see an episode about it soon. Happy researching, and I hope to see you again.